Numbers 22, 12. I appreciate the presence of God. And when you put the presence of God and the Word of God together, you have power. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. And I'll explain who they are. You shall not curse the people. I'll explain who they are. For they are blessed. Moses reflected on this time frame in Israel's history in Deuteronomy 23.5. You'll see this on the screens. Moses said, Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. My message today is that the blessed life cannot be cursed. The blessed life cannot be cursed. Amen? Why don't you thank God because you know it already? Amen. Please be seated. The blessed life is guaranteed by God. God who has all power in heaven and earth who cannot be overruled, nor can he be undermined. When God chooses to bless something, a work for him, or someone, one of his people, no one can stop the blessings of God in your life. When I was a preteen, my aunt and uncle were selling their house. They lived right across the street from us, Uncle Tom and Aunt Phyllis, And so they had a purchaser for their home, but the deal went through. There was earnest money involved in a contract, and the buyer just couldn't pull it off. And so when the deal fell through, they were very upset. And evidently, they were into voodoo. So they decided they were going to come put a hex on that house. So my mother told me about them standing on the corner. I'm not sure if they killed a chicken or exactly what they did. I don't remember those details. But I do know they stood on the corner and they cursed and cursed and chanted and cursed that house. And you're not going to believe what happened after they cursed my aunt and uncle's house. After they cursed that house, nothing happened. Nothing happened. You can't curse what God has blessed. You see, they lived and still live under the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ that forgave them of their sins, made them white as snow, gave them a right standing with God, and you cannot curse what God has blessed. The blessed life cannot be cursed. But you can try. Balaam did. It's an amazing story in the Bible. And to kind of understand the context, Israel had come out of Egypt and were headed to the promised land. Because of their unbelief, they were kind of sentenced to wandering, some 38 years wandering in the wilderness. And wherever they went, they were a huge nation. Over 2 million people moving through territory and passing by kingdoms and lands. They were a mobile nation, but there were a lot of them. They had probably a 600,000 600, men of fighting age, 20 and up, when they came out of Egypt and when they went into Canaan land. So they had a huge army of men, of formidable foes, 
to anyone, and people were intimidated when Israel would pass by. But they never tried to create contention or conflict with those neighbors. They would pass through, although there was a lot of fear at Israel just passing by. They tried to go through the land of the Amorites, and they sent a message to Sihon, king of the Amorites. They said, we want to we come through your territory. We won't go in any of your fields. We will not eat from your vineyards. We won't even drink any water from your well. We'll just pass through on the king's highway. We'll keep on trucking through your land, and we won't bother you at all. But Sihon, king of the Amorites, got upset about this, and he rallied his armies together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. They weren't bothering anyone. And when they did, Israel defeated them, routed them, and that fame spread everywhere that you don't mess with God's blessed people. Now, Israel's going to go through the land of Moab. And when the king of Moab, whose name is Balak, he hears about this, the Bible said that they are terrified. They know that Israel's got a lot of people, and the Bible said that they were sick with dread. They were exceedingly afraid. And they said to themselves, the king said, if they come through our land, they're going to lick up everything around us. It's going to be like locusts going through the land. There won't be anything left. But he remembered what Israel did to the Amorites. And the Amorites had just defeated Moab. So they said, we can't beat the guys that beat the guys that beat us. So we're going to have to level the playing field. Why don't we find somebody who can curse them? So Balak sends a message to a prophet named Balaam. He's a Mesopotamian prophet, not a Jewish prophet. Kind of an obscure Bible character, hard to understand. And Balak calls a meeting, sends some ambassadors rather, and they say to Balaam, look, we know that you have the power that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. So we want to sign you up on a contract. We're going to hire you. We've got some people you need to curse for us. There's a lot of them. We're not going to be able to drive them out. And we've just got to have some help to lower them down to our level so we can defeat them. And Balaam prays about it and God says no. And Balaam sends the ambassadors away back to Balak. And uh, that's the end of the story for a while. But Balak won't give up. He sends more ambassadors, more noble And he tells Balaam, if you'll come work for me and curse Israel, I'll give you a lot of reward and honor. You're going to have so much money, you're not even going to know what to do with all that money. And Balaam tells the men that are there, as he had told the group before, why don't you spend the night and I will go ask God again. Now the first time when Balaam asked God what to do, God said, no, don't go. Don't curse them. Because they are blessed and I'm not going to let you curse what I have blessed. And he tells these guys when they come the second time, you can go tell Balak, if he gives me silver and gold, I can't go beyond the word of the Lord. I can't do it, but just stay overnight and let me go ask God again. Now I just want to say this for the record. When God tells you no, do not ask Him again. If He says wait, you can ask Him again. If you know it's His will and He just hasn't answered, you can knock and seek until He answers. But when God says no, 
Which part of that do you not understand? The N or the O about no. They, Balaam goes and prays to God again. And God tells Balaam, okay Balaam, he's really not happy with this, but he said, I want you to rise and go with him, but you're only going to speak the word that I give to you. So he goes back to Balak, they make the deal, and uh, you know, so here goes Balaam, or he's on his way to Balak, and while he is, he saddles up his donkey, it's a female donkey, he's had her for some time, and he's riding down the road. Two of his servants are with him, headed to Balak. And as he goes down the road, suddenly his donkey veers off and wanders off in a field and stops. Now, you know, they can be stubborn. And Balaam is mad and he hits his donkey and gets her back on the path again. And they go down the road a little bit more. And what Balaam doesn't know is the donkey is more spiritual than he is. The reason the donkey went out of the way is she saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with the sword in his hand to kill Balaam. That's what the Bible says. So she went out in the field. Balaam doesn't know about this. He gets the donkey back on the road and they go to a place that's really narrow and there's walls on either side of vineyards. And the donkey goes up against the wall and crushes Balaam's foot up against the wall which really makes him angry. What Balaam doesn't know is that the donkey sees the angel of the Lord standing in the middle of the path with a sword in his hand to kill Balaam. She's trying to spare his life. Balaam hits the donkey again and they go on their way. They come to a place that is so narrow there's no place to go and the angel of the Lord appears in the path again only to the donkey and she collapses on the ground. Balaam is really mad this time and he hits the donkey And when he does, the donkey talks. This is in your Bible, Numbers 22, 28. If you ever want to know what, if animals think or what they think, we know what the donkey was thinking. The donkey said, what have I done to you that you would strike me these three times? And the coolest part about this story is Balaam talks back to the donkey. Now, I know some of you right now are saying that would be the most intelligent conversation I would have had all week. Talk to a donkey. And Balaam talks back and he says, you know, I wish I had a sword in my hand right now. I'd kill you. And the donkey says, am I not your donkey? You've ridden on ever since I became yours to this day. Was I ever disposed to do this to you? I was pretty impressed with the donkey's vocabulary when I was reviewing my notes between services and the donkey said the word disposed. Wow. (laughs) And Balaam, all of a sudden his eyes are open. He sees the angel in the road with the sword in his hand. And he hits the ground, falls on his face. And the angel of the Lord says, Why have you hit your donkey these three times? I have come out against you to kill you, and she spared your life. Why are you perverse before me in your way, Balaam? What you're doing is wrong. She's turned aside these three times. If she would not have done it, I would have killed you by now. And Balaam says, now now hang on just a second. Uh, If what I'm doing is displeasing you, I can turn back. 
Now we know that what he was doing displeased the Lord. The Lord told him that the first time. But if you press God, he might just let you go get yourself in a lot of trouble. He might tell you an answer that you really know better than is his will and you just want it to be his will. So the angel said to Balaam, go with these men. But the word that I speak to you, that's what you speak. You're going to speak for me. I'll put my word in your mouth. And that's the end of it. That's all you can say. And Balaam goes to Balak. Balak hears he's coming. He's so excited. He goes out to meet Balaam. The prophet has come. But he's a little upset because he's delayed. Where have you been? Why haven't you come to me? Balaam could have explained the whole story. But he said, look, I'm here. So what, you know, let's just get on with business. And Balak says, you know, I'm able to honor you. I can reward you. And so let's get going here. And Balaam says, here's how this is going to work. I want you to curse the people of Israel. Balaam says, offer oxen and sheep, make a sacrifice to God. And Balak says, what we need to do is go up on the mountain where we can see Israel. Because I want you to really get a good look at them so you can curse them. They go up to a tall mountain, a place that's used to worship Baal, a false god, and Balaam, Balak shows Balaam and Balaam looks down over the people and Balaam has actually gone up a little higher and he looks down and sees Israel there. He comes back, he's got a word of prophecy. He tells Balak, Balak is kind of standing by the sacrifice waiting for Balaam to come back and the Lord puts this word in his mouth. And this is what he says. All right, are you ready for this, Balak? Balak's like, come on, bring on the curse. And Balaam says, Balak, king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? Because he, Balaam, kind of, wait, 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 this is, this is not in the script, you know. And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. You know, Balaam. And Balak, hold on, what have you done to me? That's also in your Bible. I hired you to curse my enemies. So get on with the curse. And what you've done is bless them bountifully. And Balaam just says, Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? And Balaam says, Okay, we're going to try a second time. So Balaam takes Balaam up to another place. They say, Now look. If Israel looked too good from over here, let's go on this place over on this side and see if we can't get another look at them. And this time, I don't want you to see all of them. I'm just going to show you kind of the fringes of them. I want you to see the outer part of them. The fringe group of Israel. Now, Balak's superstitious. And so he's got them over here. He takes him up to this high mountain to Mount Pisgah and says, look down on them. So Balaam does. Balak offers sacrifice, stands waiting for Balaam to come back. Balaam gets a word from God. He comes back down from the top of Pisgah and he begins to prophesy and he's got a word of God in his mouth. 
Now, this is what he prophesies the second time. He has this oracle, rise up Balak and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. And then Balaam says, He, God, has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord, his God, is with him, and the shout of a king is among him. He prophesies blessing over Israel. He tells them God brought them out of Israel. He gave them the strength of a wild ox. There's Jacob. You can't have a divination against him. Nothing can be said. Look what God has wrought. These people rise up like a lion. They bow down to the prey. They're going to drink the blood of the slain. I mean, all this vivid language about this conquering people that God is blessed. And Balak, the boss, the king, is not getting his money's worth out of Balaam the prophet. So Balak says, look, oh, 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 wait a second. This time, don't speak good or bad. Let's try this a third time. Let's go somewhere else. So Balak takes Balaam up to another mountain and he said, Numbers 23, 27, perhaps... It will please God that you may curse them from there. They went to the top of a mountain called Peor, and it overlooks a wasteland. So maybe you can get inspired by a desert. Maybe a desert will kind of conjure up a curse in you so you can look down in that desert where there's nothing and curse Israel. Well, Balaam, he's also not happy with this. He's not really a godly man. However, God uses him to prophesy. Balak builds his altars. Balaam tries to not do the same old thing. But while he's kind of alone, the Bible said that God just begins to speak to him. And the Spirit of God comes on Balaam. And this blessing comes. He takes up an oracle. An utterance of Balaam, the son of Peor, whose utterance with his eyes open is real dramatic, you know, in his prophecy. The utterance of him who hears the words of the Lord, a visions of the Almighty who falls down, eyes wide open. You can see this Balaam, you know. He's, got, he's a real showman. And this is what he says. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. <laughs> your dwellings, O Israel. You're like a valley that stretches out, like gardens by a riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord. You're like cedars by waters. You're going to pour waters out of buckets. Your seed will be in many waters. Your king is going to be higher than King Agag, and your kingdom is going to be exalted. God brought you out of Egypt. You're as strong as a wild ox. You're going to break the bones of your enemies. Speaks of Israel. He's going to bow down. He lies down as a lion. And then he says, Blessed is he who blesses you. And cursed is he who curses you. And Balak goes ballistic in anger. He says, Get out of here. You're fired. That's not exactly how the Bible says it. But what the Bible says is Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam. And he struck his hands together. 
And he said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies. And look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Flee to your place. That's where he said you're fired. The Lord has kept you back from honor. I was going to give you position and power and all kind of wealth. And here you are, curse, I mean blessing the ones I paid you to curse. We're done. The deal's off. No severance pay, no consolation prize. You're out of here. Balaam's three too. You know, he's had enough of this. He didn't really want to get into this to start with. He knew he was wrong, but the money kind of got to him and the reward, the potential reward. Balaam says to Balak, if you were to give me a house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says, that I must speak. And before Balaam walks away from Balak, he has a parting shot, a prophecy that God puts in his mouth. He said, let me tell you what's going to happen to you in the last days. He said, so he took up this oracle and he gets real dramatic again. But he says, the knowledge of the Most High, a vision from the Almighty. He said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. He prophesied the coming of Jesus Christ. He said, a star shall rise out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And it will batter the brow of Moab and destroy your sons in tumult. He prophesied against Edom and Seir. He says of Jacob that out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. He prophesies against Amalek and the Kenites and he tells them that God is going to do this because you cannot curse what God has blessed. Balaam and Balak part ways. And when Moses is recounting the story, he says, nevertheless, your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing. It was coming like an arrow of fire, and it turns into a blessing in your life. And can I tell you today that what God did with His people in the Old Testament, He always has done and always will do. We are His people. We are blessed people. And no one can curse what God has blessed. Now, if you knew the real Israel, you would say, how could God do that? Because two chapters before, they're griping about not having water, murmuring and complaining. One chapter before, they're griping again and God sends fiery serpents to kill some of the people in Israel. But when Balaam stands from the outside looking in, God says, I have not seen iniquity in my people. These are my people and you have no permission to come inside my church and mess with my people. I'll deal with them, but not you. They are blessed and no man can Curse them. Amen. Now what you have to understand about God, what Moses said, he turned the curse into a blessing because he loves you. The Lord often said, I do this for my sake. Not because you're perfect, not because you deserve it, but for my name's sake, for my reputation, for my great purpose. I'm going to use you, fallible as you are, imperfect, flawed, but I'm going to use you and no one can curse what God has blessed. 
You, you may remember a patriarch named Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, the father of the twelve sons who become the twelve tribes of Israel. Jacob is a blessed man. All the promises to Abraham, all the blessing of Abraham flows down to Isaac and to Jacob. And it really gets traction in Jacob. But Jacob doesn't have a perfect life. And what you have to understand is that to be blessed does not mean that you have the perfect, pain-free life. That is not the sign of blessing in your life. In Jacob's old age, he stands before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. His son Joseph, Jacob's son Joseph, is like the prime minister. And Pharaoh says to Jacob, this gnarly old guy, how old are you? I think he's thinking, you look really old. How old are you? And Jacob says... A wonderful child just responded with their age, in case you're wondering online what just happened. That's awesome. But when Pharaoh asked Jacob how old he was, he wasn't four. He said, I'm 130 years old. And he said, I've had a lot of evil in the days of my life. And I hadn't lived as long as my parents have lived. But think about Jacob's life. He lives in a long-running feud with his twin brother. He flees to a foreign country. He lives with his uncle Laban, marries his daughters. Laban spends 20 years ripping him off. Right? Jacob has his favorite son kidnapped and doesn't hear from him for like 13 years. That's Joseph. His daughter is violated by a pagan prince of Shechem. His beautiful wife, Rachel, dies while giving birth to his last son, Benjamin. She tries to name him Benomai, the son of my pain, and he says, no, we're not going with that. His name is Benjamin. His wife dies. He has children that marry outside the faith. He has two grandsons who are killed by God because they're so wicked. This is Jacob, the blessed man. He is standing before Pharaoh because his land is in a famine and they're forced to go down to Egypt. And yet Jacob is a blessed man and he stands there in the presence of the most powerful man in the world. And the Bible says that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. But sometimes, because of the hardships of our lives, we have forgotten that we're still blessed people and that we have a blessing to give that God loves us. Amen. The blessed life cannot be cursed. Amen. Because God loves us, relentlessly often he chastens us he disciplines us to be more like him but he does that under the covering of his family the church under the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ it's to yield the the peaceable harvest of right living the Bible says the psalmist David wrote in Psalm 119 67 before I was afflicted I went astray 
but now have I kept thy word. God's disciplinary action in your life is not to destroy you, but to bring you back into compliance, into obedience to Him, so He can bless you. The blessed life cannot be cursed. But it's not a perfect pain-free life. We're not in heaven yet. The fiery trials which are to try us are common to us. It's part of life on a fallen planet. Amen? But neither is the blessed life a flawless, sinful life, or sinless life. Only Jesus. Amen. If Balaam and Balak could have come down from those lofty peaks, they would have seen them complaining. They would have seen the fiery serpents. They would have known that Israel was far from perfect. And if God looks in His church today, He knows, He knows, He knows that we are not perfect, that we've got sins to confess, we've got flaws in our life. But He will deal with us in the context of family. But we are His people, the sheep of His pasture, and we are blessed. And the blessed life cannot be cursed. You cannot curse the blessed life. Yeah, God would say, you leave my family alone. If my child needs discipline, I'll take care of this. But they're still my child. Amen. You know, I think too many people disqualify themselves from the favor of God and walk away from God because of a sin or a failure, a disappointment in their lives, something that they've let themselves down. But I want you to understand for this picture of Israel that the blessed life cannot be cursed. Let me get your Bible. Not right the second. And read about the, the letters to the churches of Revelation in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Those seven churches will, were filled with flaws. There are two churches that did not get a rebuke. Five churches got rebuked from the Lord because of sin, because of issues. And I do not believe that you can go to heaven with sin in your life. You must repent of it. But my point is that the first time you stumble and fall does not mean that God writes you off and says, Cursed, curse, curse. He says, No, repent, turn back to me. Amen. If you will confess your sins... I will forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I am your Father. The blessed life. The blessed life cannot be cursed. Amen. That's why the scripture that I pointed out a while ago just kind of blows my mind. That God through Balaam says, He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Hang on just a second. A chapter ago, you sent fiery serpents in among them to kill some of them for their sin. But now you're telling Balaam, this prophet, that you can't, oh, well, look around, I can't find any sin anywhere. God is not lying, He's not confused, and He's certainly not blind. But He does see His people that are blessed and under the covering of protection of God. And here we are today under the blessing of the blood of Jesus Christ that has cleansed us from our sins. We, we are blessed. The Bible says in Romans 8 and 1, There is therefore now no condemnation 
to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Paul would tell us that we should not continue in sin that grace may abound. But John would say it, and I said it a while ago, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. The best way I know to explain it is that in the same way that no matter where Balak and Balaam stood, you can stand here, you can stand here, you can go to to Peor, to the place where they worship Baal, you can go to Pisgah, wherever you see these people from, there's something you can't get through, and that is the love of God for His people. And He chose to bless them, and until He curses them, you cannot touch them. And we are under a similar covering. And it is called the blood of Jesus Christ shed at Calvary. When Jesus Christ sees you, He doesn't see you in your imperfection. God knows everything. But when He sees you in the legal sense of your justification and your right standing with Him, He sees you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because this is how it works. We are all under the curse of sin. All of sin, it comes short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And the full payment for sin was exacted in the body of Jesus Christ. The Bible said that He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The Bible said He was made a curse for us. For the Bible said that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So on the cross, Jesus Christ became cursed so you could be blessed. And when His blood was shed on the cross, it was shed for the covering of the sins of the world. The blessed life cannot be cursed. And where Satan would come and accuse you of everything in the world. Where sometimes our own conscience, our own failures would beat us up and feel like we have no hope at all. The blood of Jesus Christ says, hang on, wait a second. No one can curse my people. You can't even curse yourself before God because you have a standing with me that the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross has covered all your sins. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. You belong to me and nobody can touch you. Amen. Paul would say, if God be for us, who can be against us? So how, how, how? How do I get that covering? How do I get inside of Israel where I'm blessed? Well, I know that the blood of Jesus Christ has to cover my sins. When I stand before God in judgment, I have one prayer, is that I am covered by the blood. That the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for me was sufficient payment for my sins. And when I turned from my sins in repentance and had faith in Jesus Christ, when I was baptized in water in His name to take His name over my life, when I received the gift of the Holy Ghost, His Spirit came into me. He made me a new creature and I got inside the family of God. That's why the Bible said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things are become new. And all things are of God. The blessed life cannot 
be cursed. So would you right now make up your mind to come under the headship of Jesus Christ, the saving power of Jesus Christ? Would you say, God, forgive me of my sins. Right now, God, I repent. I turn from my sins. I pray that you would forgive me. God, I want to be covered by the power of Jesus Christ, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I long for the blessed life. Would you bow your heads right now, please? There is a battle raging right now in the minds of people. It's like that old proverbial argument between the devil on one shoulder and God on the other. Whispering in your ear, shouting in your ear to say, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not worthy. You don't deserve this. You can't do this. You know you failed in the past. You can't do this. And the accusations come. But Jesus Christ would say to you, no one's worthy. I was the only worthy one. And I took your sins and my body on the cross and my blood has covered your sins and you are clean and pure and blessed if you found life in me. Would you pray right now, everyone in this room, whether you're a long time saint of God or a first time guest comes straight off the street and a full fledged sinner and you know you are, would you pray right now and say, Jesus Christ, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. Lord, I am sorry for my sins. I need the forgiveness that only comes from you. Oh God, I do not have any appeal but that the blood that you shed for me on Calvary, on the cross, Lord, was sufficient payment for my sins. I cannot save myself. I cannot get it right. I cannot make my life come together, Lord. I must have you, Jesus, and I must have you now. So God, would you forgive me? If
you thank the Lord right now? I thank you, Jesus. If you are unfamiliar with what just happened, the Bible teaches in the gifts of the Spirit that in a public assembly like this, that there are occasions when there will be a message in tongues and an interpretation, God underscoring His Word to our hearts in a very personal and specific way. I feel what God just said was targeted to some people who have make a full-time job out of beating yourself up. And your condemnation of yourself has driven a wedge between you and God. He loves you. He's drawing you to forgiveness. Would you stand right now, everyone, please? And I'm inviting everyone who would to step out from where you are and make your way down to this area of the front of the church. We call it our altar area. It is a place where you can come and pray. And I would like for you to say, God, I want your blessing in my life. And Lord, I know that it is a clear choice. And I know it begins at ground zero. And Lord, I have come today to thank you that the blessed life cannot be cursed. Would you come right now? That's it, just keep coming from wherever you are.